Welcome into the Hard Count, the people show for every single thing that you know and that you love about college football. It happens here on a daily basis. Nick Brake does the heavy lifting. You can help drive the show by subscribing to the channel. I'm your host, J.D. Pakel, And folks, it is almost college football season. It used to be a small flicker over there on the horizon, just slowly getting closer. And now it is inside of about two weeks almost when we get to have week zero right in front of us. Some people aren't week zero fans. That's fine. You and I are a little bit off the reservation. And so we can't wait for week zero. I personally, I'm a caffeine addict. I'll say it very transparently. That's just, a, you know, something about me. Uh, take a caffeine pill every morning on college football Saturdays. I wake up, no caffeine, I'm up and out of bed, Chick-fil-A breakfast, we got college game day on by 8 Central, 9 Eastern, however you watch it. Bottom line, it's almost here, you're fired up, I'm jacked up, we got a great show lined up for you, a lot to talk about as we are winding down talking season, we're going to talk about the expectations for South Carolina heading into 2022 in year two under the Beamer regime, we're going to talk about what to make about USC, what do they got going on in Southern California? How are we supposed to assess them in 2022? Because I think there is a lot of storylines that we need to unpack together. We're also going to tell you some breakout players. You don't know about them yet. Maybe you do if they play for your program. But these are guys that you're going to definitely need to know before we get too far into the season. And you're going to hear about them regardless. Highlight reels postseason accolade, running, things like that. You're going to know these guys, and we're going to go ahead and give you a head start on that. Very, very important. We are on Twitter. I'm on Twitter, at Jody Paquel. I'm also on Instagram, at Jody Paquel. Same handle for both. We are working to utilize both those channels to involve y'all as much as possible. We do a Twitter Spaces every Tuesday around 12 Central, 1 Eastern, and we're probably going to find a way to utilize Instagram in some way, shape, or form to have, whether it's Instagram Live or do polls. We're going to find some way to use that platform as well, so follow me there. We also are on podcasts, wherever you get it, Apple, Spotify. We got it for you there on the hard count. Nick Break does a lot to make sure that gets into your feed, so go ahead and check that out. First, before we get to South Carolina, USC, and those breakout players, we got fall camp, folks. They're playing ball all over the country. Just about everybody has opened up. I'm pretty sure everybody has opened up. And there is some intel that we have to report back to you. And a lot of y'all that watch this show are Sooner faithful. And so talk to some people that we know down there, Norman, and said, what's going on in fall camp? Give me the big takeaways so far. And the probably the, the, the most notable takeaway is these guys look bigger, stronger, faster. These guys being obviously the Sooner football team. And a lot of people will say this when they open camp. Wow, offseason was good to them. Hey, winter conditioning, they did a good job, got leaner, got stronger. That's probably the case a lot of places. But the reason why this is such a bullet point for Oklahoma is because they have someone who is a staple to that program from 1999, 2017, Jerry Schmidt, Schmitty, as he is fondly referred to, is back on campus running the strength conditioning for Oklahoma. You probably know that name or know that nickname from the Malcolm Kelly freestyle. Messing with Schmitty in the summertime. I'm not going to do the whole thing, but he's a big part of what they do at Oklahoma. And so for him to come back under Brent Venables, got the fan base excited, got former players excited. Twitter erupted when he got hired about, oh man, Schmitty's about to get a hold of him. 
Hang on tight, boys. Winter conditioning's about to be a beast. Sounds like it was, and it has been for this team, and that's something they need to continue to lean into as they slowly make the transition to the SEC in the very near future. But ultimately, this is a good sign because there were times last year, and Oklahoma fans will say this, this is one of the biggest knocks they had against Lincoln Riley was, hey, we weren't tough enough at times. We weren't physical enough at times. And so when you revamp the strength conditioning program, you are essentially putting a bullseye on those weaknesses and saying, hey, we got to up the ante. And for those that aren't familiar, your strength and conditioning coach spends the most time with you as a college athlete because there are periods during the year where you can't be with your position coach. You can't go and do on-field drills. Like there's rules to this. You spend just about every single week during the calendar year with your strength conditioning coach. You guys get a lot of face time. And so to have someone that is true to Oklahoma and to have someone that has so much credibility and such a great track record behind him, I think should be a, a exciting thing for, for Sooner fans and for this program, honestly, as they move forward. So ultimately, the physical jumps, the physical gains have been made there. They look good in spring practice. Also, one thing that we heard a lot about coming out of fall camp for Oklahoma was the tempo of the practices. If you know Brent Venables, if you've seen him and what he did at Clemson, you know he's high energy. He is the epitome of high energy. He had his own guy that was his quote-unquote get-back coach. All that means is when Brent Venables was getting too animated and probably getting out to the numbers on the football field, there was somebody there to rein him back and pull him back in. Which, if you have a grown man whose job is literally to just pull you back to the sideline, I mean, I don't know how you become any more high energy. And so that has translated to Sooner practices so far because you've heard me say this if you've watched this program. Teams take on the persona of their coaches, especially the head coach. And so it's no surprise that they're pushing the tempo early in fall camp. And that's not always the case in fall camp. Sometimes the first day of fall camp is, okay, we're going to walk it through. We're going to install it. We're not going to go any competition drills. We're going to just kind of take this slow, walk before we run. Doesn't sound like that's the case. You had a lot of guys saying, hey, this was a practice that we had to respond to. It wasn't something where we were just getting out there and going through the motions. No, we had to find a way to respond to the kind of energy that Brent Venables is pushing and expecting from us in practice. And on day one, that's a good sign. Again, I told you, the sense of urgency at Oklahoma is renewed. There was a long stretch under the previous regime where Oklahoma had a lot of success, and after a while, you start to believe a little more in that logo than you do in the preparation. You start to kind of mail it in. You sort, sort of go through the motions, become complacent. Brent Venable said it at the bowl game. He said there was a lot of nonchalantness when I watched us practice during the bowl week. Not anymore. Okay, that is long, long gone. You can rest assured. One critical area of this team, from a position group standpoint at least, is the wide receiver group. Because Jaden Hazelwood is gone. Uh, Mario Williams is gone. A lot of guys that added production last year have since left the program in one way, shape, or form or another. A lot of them via the portal. And so you look at who they have coming back, and it's a lot of guys outside of Marvin Mims and Drake Stoops that aren't super proven. And so Marvin Mims is great. I think he could be, maybe should be your number one wide receiver. Definitely your most proven wide receiver so far. He's a guy you're excited about. But you look across this roster and say, okay, probably got to have somebody else step up especially on the outside. You got Drake Stoops in the slot. Somebody else on the outside has to be a threat for us if we're going to get this offense to where it needs to ultimately go. Two guys that they're pretty excited about right now. The first, Jaleel Farouk. 
a guy who has a ton of physical ability. He's about six foot one, so a decent frame. They're excited about his explosive ability. They think he could be a guy that can hurt him down the field, can take the top off a of defense, and add a whole new layer to this offense. Just about everybody in Norman is expecting him to have a breakout year. So that's Jaleel Farouk, a guy to know, a guy you probably already know and are excited about in Norman, but on the national landscape, I think you're going to hear about Jaleel Farouk in some circles moving forward. A guy that I'm really excited about and that we've heard rumblings about, but I'm excited to see the kind of role he takes on, is Theo Weiss Jr. Theo Weiss Jr. popped in his 2020 campaign. There were times where he flashed. I say popped in terms of you saw him have pop games. He got hurt in 2021. And obviously that was disappointing for everybody involved, but you had other guys that could step up. They're going to ask a lot of Theo Weiss Jr. in 2022. And he's not necessarily a super fast 40 guy, but he's got really great game speed. Like he took a couple passes in that 2020 season and just ate up some angles of the DBs. Also a 6'3 frame. He's someone that you could throw the ball to in in one-on-one situations, win a 50-50 ball. I think he has to add that for them in order, again, for this offense to reach where it is capable of reaching. So for Dylan Gabriel, you got Marvin Mims. And I think you got Drake Stoops, obviously, who's more or less a, a known commodity. But you got to have Jaleel Farouk and Theo Weiss Jr. coming to their own. They're guys they're excited about and guys that we've heard good things about so far in terms of fall camp. Now, here's a name that a lot of Sooner faithful, again, probably know. He's a true freshman from the state of Kansas, Jaron Kinnick. Jaron Kinnick is a guy that I was told will play as a true freshman. Now, will he start? remains to be seen. I think that would probably be a little bit ambitious, but if he ends up becoming a starter at some point during the year, works his way, plays his way into that role, do not be surprised. He is a freak show, folks. Listen to these numbers that he's putting up right now. 12 bench reps of 275. A lot of your favorite running backs in the NFL can't do more than 15 at 225. So there's that. 12 reps of 275. Dude's strong. He's got college strength already as a true freshman. 39-inch vertical. He's about 6'1", 6'2", 220 pounds. To get up that high as a linebacker, that's ridiculous. That explosiveness is unbelievable. Pair that with a 4'4", laser. Guy is fast, he's strong, he's physically ready to play right now, and they're really excited about him. He's not going to redshirt, not going to take his time and develop. He's ready to help you this season. So Jaron Kanick, a guy that you need to know and keep an eye on as you move forward in fall camp and as you move forward throughout the season for the Sooner faithful. So all that's to say, Oklahoma is continuing to trend how we thought they would on this show. Now, obviously, they haven't played a game yet. There's more to be determined. There's more to go into with fall camp. I think they just scrimmaged on, I want to say, Saturday. Don't hold me to that. They're still getting their feet under them at fall camp. But so far, the early returns are looking about how we thought they would in Norman. So good things there for the Sooners. Moving right along. Shane Beamer allowed South Carolina to overachieve in 2021. And that is in no way, shape, or form, any kind of slight. The over-under win total for South Carolina in 2021 was four. Folks, they won seven. Also, they did it with a revolving door at quarterback. Just about anybody and everybody who suited up for South Carolina was able to play quarterback. 
and was able to, I mean, in the bowl game, they played a receiver at quarterback. And Shane Beamer is saying, man, we wish we had played him a lot sooner because Dak Joyner did a really good job for us in the bowl game. But all that's to say, there was a lot of things that South Carolina did a year ago that nobody saw coming. And so the narrative has changed a little bit about South Carolina. A lot of people see them as a team that could build on that. Now in 2022, the over-under is at five and a half games. And so I think we need to have a conversation right now about, hey, what do you, what can you expect? What should you expect? What's reasonable to expect from South Carolina in 2022? So we're going to go with some bad news, some good news, and then I'm going to give you my ultimate take as it pertains to their record in 2022 and beyond. So the bad news is for South Carolina, a lot of the games that you won last year were games that sort of broke your way. I mean, they were about a score, a little bit more than that in some of these games with teams that you really shouldn't have been messing around with as an SEC program. As truthfully, the brand that is South Carolina, you shouldn't have had to take as much effort as you did. Good on the list here. They beat Eastern Carolina by three. That is no disrespect to the Pirates. But if you're South Carolina, you should take care of business against ECU by two touchdowns. I know the quarterback situation was in disarray. Like they played a GA at one point. But still, we, we got to take care of business against who we're supposed to take care of business against. Then they beat Troy by nine. Better, but again, it's Troy. I'm not trying to disrespect Troy. I'm just saying, South Carolina, if you are not taking a leap forward in terms of talent and production and identity, we got problems. We can't play Troy close. We can't play Eastern Carolina close. They beat Vanderbilt by one. Vanderbilt, also an SEC program. Clark Lee's got them headed the right direction. I'm a Clark Lee guy. I'm a Clark Lee believer. I think somebody actually at SEC Media Day gave them a vote for first place. I love it. Let's go. Doors roll. Doors are right down the street from us. But South Carolina, to sing the same song, third verse, should be able to beat Vanderbilt by more. And so the reason why this is bad news, in my opinion, is because some of these games, like I said, if, if they break your way one year, you can't just depend on them to break your way the next year. Like you need to take steps to beat Vanderbilt by more than one point this upcoming year, right? Like, it has to be a jump in terms of what they do on the field, okay? So, ultimately, I'm not trying to talk about just whenever they play Vanderbilt specifically. I'm talking about taking a leap in terms of performance from what they were a year ago. In addition to that, it's kind of a bad news, good news, but we'll keep it in the bad news section. 24 takeaways a year ago on defense for South Carolina. Guys, that is really, really good. That was best in the SEC, similar to how I feel about those three games where you kind of play with your food against lesser competition, you, you can't really depend on having 24 turnovers. Now, it's a good sign in terms of what you're able to do on defense and be opportunistic and capitalize when you were supposed to capitalize or able to capitalize. That's a good thing. But when you're playing defense, hoping you can make a takeaway or, or when, when you're depending on takeaways, I should say, rather, that's when you run into trouble. Because takeaways, in some regard, I want to be careful how I say this, it's not always exclusively a defensive effort to, to have takeaways. Some of that is, hey, it was a tip pass off the receiver's hands, ball's in the air, it's our ball. Some of it is a, hey, receiver ran the wrong, ran, ran the wrong route and he threw it to us. Some of it is a bad snap, okay, we're on the ball. So you see what I'm saying here? Some of this is a two-sided effort in terms of getting takeaways. Because South Carolina has their own problems on defense stopping the run. 
They gave up just around 175 yards per game on the ground. you got to be better, especially in the SEC. Shane Beamer has said it. The great teams in college football, yes, but especially in this conference, win the trenches. Georgia, Alabama, LSU when they're playing great. Auburn when they were great with Nick Fairley. you got to win the trenches in college football, especially in the SEC. There's too many freak shows running around there to have a lackluster performance in those trenches. you got to be better. And they've done a lot in the portal to try and revamp that. They've done a lot this offseason to try and revamp that. But you got to take a step forward because you can't play with your food in terms of lesser competition. You can't bank on turnovers. You can play great defense, but you can't bank on turnovers in 2022. And you certainly have to play better against the run. These are all things that South Carolina knows. The ultimate point I'm trying to make here is there were things, again, that broke South Carolina's way last year that you can't depend on this year. Okay? I'm just, I'm just saying. Luck is fickle and not something that you can ultimately train in the offseason. Okay? So now, if you practice well and, and you focus on the right things, you get lucky more frequently. But again, it's not something that you can continue to go to the well for. So in terms of good news, let's talk about some good news for South Carolina. The good news is their roster will be better. They added nine transfers, nine good transfers, in my opinion. You got Spencer Rattler playing quarterback. We'll touch on more in a minute. Uh, you got Christian Beal Smith going to add another level of toughness and downhill running to that running back room behind Marshawn Lloyd. Uh, you also added Austin Stogner, a guy from Oklahoma that is a Shane Beamer kind of guy who Shane Beamer coached at OU. Then you added Juice Wells, who I think is going to be someone to really, really watch because he was a baller, transferred up. He was at JMU. He has the potential to be a number one receiver kind of guy. Now, Josh Van probably has that taken care of, but to have two guys that can help you in the pass game, that is huge. Also sounds like Juice Wells and Spencer Rattler have gelled early on. More good news, okay? So, ultimately, the roster from a year ago is improved, not just because they got more time under the staff, they're taking more steps in the process to get to where they want to be, but based on the transfer portal, they were able to add some real talent. And, folks, that is a very good thing. Some more good news, you have stability at quarterback. Like we talked about, Spencer Rattler was... This time a year ago, going to be the number one pick in the draft. He's going to win the Heisman Trophy, and he's going to lead Oklahoma to the playoff. None of those things happened, but it still remains that Spencer Rattler is an enormously talented individual. And if you look at what South Carolina had in that quarterback room a year ago, it was a revolving door, like we talked about. There was someone playing quarterback. It felt like that was different the week before every week for South Carolina. And they still won seven games. You won seven games playing a wide receiver and a GA at quarterback, okay? So all that's to say, they will have someone who can play quarterback for them in South Carolina, which is a reason for all the optimism they have down there in Columbia. Spencer Rattler alone, they're saying, okay, we won seven games with a partridge in a pear tree and everybody else who was in Columbia playing quarterback, right? I mean, we had no consistency. Still won seven games. Imagine if we have somebody back there as talented as Spencer Rattler. We throw him into the mix, just sort of copy-paste. How good can we be? How good can we be? And that's the reason why there's so much excitement. They haven't had a quarterback like Spencer Rattler there since, let's say, Connor Shaw. Well, yeah, Connor Shaw is probably a fair comparison to make. They have someone who is going to be dependable and someone who has, just from a talent perspective, 
a really, really high ceiling. Now, you know how I feel about this. I think they have to make sure they manage him effectively. I think they have to make sure that he isn't having to feel like he's Superman every single week, every single game. But if they can manage him well and just simplify it for him, I believe in Marcus Satterfield. Got to spend some time around him when I was at Baylor. If they can simplify it like I think they will be able to, Spencer Rattler will have a really great 2022. Now, if they put too much on him, if he puts too much on himself, if he just wants to make poor decisions, well, then you're back to square one for South Carolina, and maybe you got to ask someone else to play quarterback. That's probably not the case, but you hear what I'm saying here. Spencer Rattler can be his own worst enemy, but from a talent perspective, he's the reason for a lot of hype in Columbia right now. So another side of this is Spencer Rattler is actually in some way, shape, or form, going to be a recruiting tool for South Carolina. If he goes out there and plays really well, well, then Shane Beamer can go to a number of quarterbacks in future classes and say, hey, you want to come here and be the next Spencer Rattler? He came to us from Oklahoma. He was benched. He was looking for a revamp for his career. Came to South Carolina, lit it up. Dude was an All-American. We won nine games, whatever it is. You want to come here and do that? It's been done before. I think you're a pretty talented, kid. Why don't you come here and do that for us, South Carolina? Because Shane Beamer right now doesn't have that signal fire, doesn't have that blueprint laid out just yet that he can recruit with. Spencer Rattler would be a really great recruiting tool as they move forward. So something to watch for. I think that's kind of an underlying story that we need to keep an eye on as we watch this whole process unfold. So here's my take on this. Here's my ultimate feel on what you need to think about with South Carolina for expectations. Talked about it. The over-under for them in 2022 is five and a half games. They're going to win more than five games, folks. They will be a six-win team at minimum. What I think we need to make sure we talk about is if they don't, the sky is not falling in Columbia, right? I mean, there, there is nothing to be concerned about if they win five games, six games, because like I said, some of these games break a different way. Shane Beamer is in his second year in Columbia. It's his second season as a head coach. He's still figuring it out too. He's still getting his feet under him too. And so you have to understand this is something that's probably going to take some time to ultimately reach its pinnacle of success, to reach its high point of what it's going to be at, at one point or another. I love Shane Beamer. I was, I mean, I am as transparent as possible with this. Shane Beamer is our kind of guy here on the hard count. Cares about the right things, is an inside-out kind of guy when it comes to his program, meaning he keeps everything in-house and they don't let the external affect them. I mean, he, he is a guy that we very much so stand by on this show. I wish nothing but the best for him. I mean, you could keep going. High energy of players coach, takes a bath in mayo. I love everything about Shane Beamer. It's going to take some time. It's not a ready-made situation. They did a lot to get transfers via the portal, but it may take a second and a half at South Carolina to get to where they ultimately can go. So, again, I'm buying the over of the five and a half wins. I'm taking that to the bank. But if for some reason it's not seven games or it's not eight games, if it's five or six games, give it some time. Take a chill pill. Understand this is going to take a minute to get settled and be excited because you got a really great head coach in the seat at South Carolina. So that's South Carolina for you. I'm excited about them this year. I really am. I mean, they got a lot in front of them. There's a lot of reason for optimism in Columbia. We move from one USC to another. 
the University of Southern California, one of the premier brands in all of college football, and has been in the news for good reason recently with all of the people that are now on their football team on their football staff as well. Lincoln Riley, obviously the new head coach, one of the best offensive minds in the game today. Caleb Williams, for my money, the most talented individual in the game today. They got Travis Dye, a thousand yards rusher. They got Mario Williams, one of Caleb Williams' favorite targets at Oklahoma. They got Jordan Addison, the best receiver in the country a year ago. And so you have all of this talent coming to one of the premier cities in the country in Los Angeles. What are we to make of this? Because if you remember correctly, a year ago, USC was sitting there at four and eight. And that's not to knock USC. They just had a lot of things not go their way, quite honestly. So now enter into the Frank Lincoln Riley. And like we said, all of this overhaul of talent to Los Angeles and the NIL stuff that makes headlines. What do we make of USC? How do we properly assess them in 2022? Because the over-under win total for them right now is nine and a half games. I'm not here to take too much inventory on that, but I think we need to just understand the reference that we're viewing them from. Because Lincoln Riley inherited a roster that was from a four and eight football team. So credit to him for going out there, going on offense and saying, I need more talent on this roster. If we want to be competitive today, and the transfer portal has allowed us to do that, we need to revamp, we need to upgrade. So what does he do? Hits the portal like we hit Publix. Just says, okay, quarterback with me, receiver with me. Uh, Jordan Addison, yeah, you can come as well. Travis Dye, you're with me. They do a lot in the portal to revamp. And it feels like we say that a lot when it comes to USC, but it's hard to not do that because it's so true. So on the offensive side of the ball, I've been very open about this. If they rolled the ball out there tomorrow, if they just said, okay, fall camp, you've done enough. Let's play games starting now. USC would still score 30 points a game, maybe 40. They would still run it up on some teams because they have that much firepower on offense. This is a Ferrari. And they've got Caleb Williams running it. He's in a familiar system under Lincoln Riley. I mean, you could probably riff for a good 20 minutes about how good this offense can be now my question mark for USC lies with the defense because they did a lot in the portal there as well Alex Grinch is someone who people probably have mixed feelings about just based on his time at at Oklahoma and, and he's a guy who plays like a high risk high reward kind of defense and so that was something that people in Norman gave him a little bit of flack for but ultimately A lot of experience as a D.C. They revamped with talent there in the portal as well. But my big thing is they have five sophomores projected to start on this defense. That's a lot of youth. I'm not saying they're not going to be ballers. I'm just saying that's a big variable to watch for. Because it doesn't matter if your offense is scoring 35 a game if you're giving up 41 a game. And last year, this defense was given up right around 30 games. So they got to take the next step there. They have to find a way to improve and, and add some sort of element of giving their offense a break there. It doesn't have to be great, but they have to find a way to ultimately slow the opposition down because this offense is going to be ridiculous if they can sync up quickly. And we've talked about that before with so many transfers you may run into a situation like they have at Nebraska where, hey, who's the leader? Who's going to step up and be a leader? Do we all have first day of school syndrome where we feel a little bit like, I just want to stick to myself, do what I got to do. I don't want to worry about anything else. 
it sounds like that hasn't been too much of an issue with Caleb Williams stepping up and being the leader and guys that have transferred in being leaders, but ultimately that needs to be something that happens. And so when we talk about expectations for USC, there's a lot of people in the national scene that throw out there, man, with all the talent, they're a playoff team. I don't know if that's really fair to say. That's like looking at, let me know what's a good metaphor here, looking at a, a car with a, a shiny coat of paint and seeing the, the logo on it. And little do you know, it hasn't even hit the road yet. It's still new. It's still a new car. I mean, it takes some time to get some tread on the tires, get that engine revved up. I mean, these things take a second and a half to get going, similar to the other USC at South Carolina. These things build. They don't just happen overnight. And so I steer a little more clear from the college football playoff predictions. And truthfully, so do the USC fans. They're not expecting to make the college football playoff in year one under Lincoln Riley. They're not expecting to go out there and just run the table and voila, here it is. Boom, year one. Thanks so much, Transfer Portal. They were 4-8 a year ago. The USC faithful, the, the fans that really love this program, just want to get back to square one, just want to get back to being the USC in the Pac-12 that they know and love. Now, that's obviously for a short period of time as they go to the Big Ten in the not-too-distant future, but you get what I'm saying here. USC fans have a standard they expect from their program. They want to get closer to that. If it's not college football playoff in year one, that makes sense. We just want to be respectable, put a good product out there, and do what we're capable of doing. So I think that's something we need to take into account. It's going to take a minute. Now, ultimately, you know how I feel about this. I think Lincoln Riley is going to continue to recruit lights out, who doesn't want to go ball in Los Angeles, who doesn't want to go and have all the NIL opportunities that are available in Los Angeles, who doesn't want to play in an exciting offense for Lincoln Riley and his track record. There's a lot of things that are trending USC's way in the long term. Oh, by the way, the Big Ten brand might help you out as well. But I think this year in itself, my expectations for USC is a Pac-12 title game appearance. Do they win it? Gosh, how can we predict that in August and we're talking about a game that's going to happen November, December? Right? Like, that's not something that we need to talk about right now. But to be in that game in year one under Lincoln Riley would be a great accomplishment. I think they're probably flirting with that nine and a half win total. I don't know if they pass it or where they end up in relation to that, but they're flirting with it. Rest assured. Now, one guy that I want to make sure we talk about, and he's kind of a, a overarching figure that we can talk about when it comes to USC, is Jordan Addison. Because Jordan Addison will likely only be at USC for this season, right? Like, he's probably playing one year here, collecting an NIL check, it sounds like, and then going to the league and making a very big check with the NFL. So NIL to NFL, that's how that works. Jordan Addison will probably not be there for the pinnacle of Lincoln Riley's career at USC. Now, the reason why it was so important to get him in in year one under Lincoln Riley is when it comes to recruiting, and you're looking at you know, the 25-26 class, think how much more juice you have as Lincoln Riley if Jordan Addison pops off this year again. Think how you can sell that to a kid. Hey, you can come here and play in Los Angeles, and you can go catch 20 touchdowns for over 1,000 yards. Why would you not do that? Jordan Addison has a chance to be the signal fire for what's to come. And I think that's another thing with this portal class. There is a lot of great players that are laying a foundation and going to add more credibility to USC on the recruiting trail. 
I think Caleb Williams will ultimately at some point be a Pac-12 champion, whether it's this year or years to come. But to be able to, I mean, even if he doesn't, let's say he doesn't do that. The appeal of USC is only going to grow. The brand of USC is on its way back. Some people will tell you it never left, but the buzz around Los Angeles is bordering closer and closer to the LA Coliseum. And that's the way it should be when it comes to college football. I grew up going to USC Trojan games. Uh, I lived in Southern California from elementary school to high school, sophomore year of college, I guess. That was what was exciting on, on fall Saturdays, was people going to the LA Coliseum to watch Matt Barkley go light it up and throw touchdowns to Marquise Lee. Even before that, before I even lived there, Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart tearing it up in the, in the Coliseum. Going undefeated, it felt like, every year at that point in time. That's the USC brand. When that's humming, college football is, in my opinion, better. Not that it's bad when it's not, but college football is better when you have teams like USC sitting atop the college football world. And so with Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, all the star power they have right now, that is going to be a really strong tool to get more kids to USC to get USC to where their potential is capable of. I'm excited about it, folks. I mean, USC is going to be a team to watch, obviously, this year. But going forward, the momentum they have right now, they're going to be a problem on the recruiting trail in the fall. I mean, USC is on its way back. I'm not saying they're not coming back this year, but in years to come, USC is going to be a whole lot of fun to watch. So we're going to finish this thing off talking about breakout players for 2022. If you're a diehard fan, if this, if this kid is already in your program, then you probably already know who they are. But folks, these kids, I will tell you right now, are all in for first-team all-conference kind of season. Some of these guys are going to be in the national awards conversation when that time comes. So our breakout players for 2022, we got six of them. We're going to give them to you one by one. And these are all names that you're, if you, if you don't know them right now, you will know them by, I would say, end of September at the latest. First on our list Marvin Harrison Jr., wide receiver at Ohio State, he popped in the Rose Bowl a year ago, had three touchdowns when Garrett Wilson wasn't playing, Chris Olave wasn't playing. Quite frankly, folks, he's up next in that Ohio State wide receiver room. He's going to benefit from Jackson Smith in Jigba, a lot of people's best wide receiver in the country this coming year in 2022. He's going to benefit from all the double teams that he's drawing. And so for Marvin Harrison Jr., a big body, in this wide-open Ohio State offense and a more mature C.J. Stroud, expect him to put up big numbers. I mean, he is going to be extremely productive and going to be a weapon all fall long. So Marvin Harrison Jr., also if that name sounds familiar, Marvin Harrison caught a few touchdowns from Peyton Manning back in the day, more than a few. Second guy on our list, and this is a school that doesn't get probably spotlighted enough for all the success they had in 2021, but Blake Shapin is going to be QB1 at Baylor. Not because Gary Bohannon, the Big 12 champion quarterback, is going to the NFL or graduate or anything like that. They just said during the spring, hey, Blake Shapin, we think you're the best quarterback on our roster. You give us the best chance to win, and we're going to roll with you. If that doesn't tell you enough about Blake Shapin, I don't know what does. He stepped in in the Big 12 title game with Gary Bohannon hurt and just threw dimes. 
so much talent. His best football is still ahead of him. And like I said, this team won the Big 12 and a Sugar Bowl last year behind their starting quarterback who they still would have been able to bring back. And again, credit to Dave Aranda for making the tough decision and making it in the spring and saying, flat out, Blake Shapin, you're our guy. We're going to roll with you. That situation alone should tell you about Blake Shapin and what they think about him in Waco. But he's a guy that's going to pop. I think he'll be right up there in that top three category in terms of quarterbacks in the Big 12. And it's going to be a deep conference. You got JT Daniels, Dylan Gabriel, Quinn Ewers. I think Blake Shapin is going to be right up there in the upper tier in the Big 12. This is a guy that a lot of you probably already know. But Ole Miss running back, Zach Evans, transferred from TCU. I have him as a breakout player because he really hasn't been able to put a full year together just yet. And he's a dude that is good for nearly a first down every time he touches the ball. He's right around six or seven yards of carry for his career. He's a guy that gets downhill with bad intentions. And now being in the SEC, he's going to get more of a national spotlight. And make no mistake about it. They are going to feed him the rock like spoon feed, baby Gerber kind of style. He is going to get the ball early and often. You say, why? Well, because they don't really have their quarterback situation figured out yet, it sounds like. Luke Altmaier, Jackson Dart, sounds like they're going back and forth. Any way you slice this, whoever's playing quarterback is going to have the luxury of taking the snap, turning around, handing the ball to Zach Evans. And when Zach Evans gets going, the whole offense will open up. So I'm excited to see him, again, on a more national, a, a program that gets more national attention. It's no knock on TCU, but we just understand the kind of viewing that the SEC gets. So Zach Evans, a guy that you will know about. If you don't know about just yet, you will know about him going forward. Tons of talent, was a five-star out of high school. I mean, you can't say enough good things about him physically. If he can stay on the field and stay healthy, he will be an all-American caliber kind of running back. Mark my words. Staying in the freak show category and talking about a program we talked about earlier in this show, Jaheim Bell, tight end South Carolina. Now, he's listed as a tight end, but he'll line up just about anywhere for this program. He'll line up at running back. He may take snaps at quarterback in the Wildcat. He may line up out wide at wide receiver. He is a Swiss Army knife for this offense, and he's just scratching the surface of what he's capable of doing. 6'3", 230 pounds, runs like a deer, he popped in the bowl season last year. He had two touchdowns over 60 yards. I think he finished with like six catches, 159 yards or something like that. Guy's a big play waiting to happen. He is a big human being who runs really fast. And another guy who's going to be a weapon for this offense as they continue to work in Spencer Rattler. So Jaheim Bell is going to see a heavy dose of the football and he's going to get a chance to touch the ball in a lot of different ways. Bottom line, just know who Jaheim Bell is. He's drawn comparisons to Debo Samuel, and we all know what he's doing in the NFL right now and what he did at South Carolina. Jaheim Bell, a guy to know, a guy to watch. He will be a breakout player very, very soon. Number five, I got Joey Porter Jr. So sticking with our theme of NFL legacies, Joey Porter Jr. plays corner at Penn State. Now, he was third team all Big Ten last year. I think he's going to pop on a national scale this year. Joey Porter is exactly the kind of corner that this game is starting to trend more and more towards. Like, I think he's going to pop this year. I think he's going to be a high draft pick. He's about 6'2", but he moves like a deer, and he's got really long arms. So in coverage, he's just a matchup problem for you if you're the opposition. I mean, it's, it's tough to attack a guy like that when you can throw the ball 
on the back shoulder, and he still has a chance with those long arms of him to, to tap it away. I mean, Joey Porter Jr. is a guy who jumps off the tape when you watch him on the defensive side alone, and that's saying something. Usually when you're watching a game, you see, wow, that receiver's really fast, or wow, that running back runs really hard, gets downhill. Joey Porter Jr. at the cornerback position, probably at the top or bottom of your screen, is a guy that you will know about by, again, late September. He's going to be up for postseason accolades. I very, very strongly believe that. He will be, I'll, I'll say, I think he'll be first team Big Ten. So Joey Porter Jr., a guy to know. His dad played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was a linebacker. Uh, I would recommend YouTubing him if you haven't because he's a lot of fun to watch as well. So good genetics there. We'll finish this list with a guy who transferred from Alabama. Drew Sanders transferred from Alabama to Arkansas, was an outside linebacker, was playing at Bama, came out of high school. He was a five-star. And one thing leads to another with injuries and just Bama being Bama and how hard it is to play there. Says, okay, enough is enough. I'm going to go somewhere where I can play inside and where I can start today. Because he started at Bama for a little bit. That's speaking to his talent alone. He started at Bama, but he wants to be somewhere he can play inside and have, I would imagine, some stability in that position. Drew Sanders is a freak show. To be able to play on the edge and transition to middle linebacker in the SEC and start for Bama as a freshman, kids got ability in spades. They're going to ask a lot of him next to Bumper Pool down there in Arkansas. I believe in that program, believe in Sam Pittman. I believe in Drew Sanders and his ability alone in his second season. He's going to be a guy that you know about in the SEC. Uh, he'll have his work cut out for them. Don't get me wrong. I mean, given all the freak shows running around in the SEC, he'll have a chance to prove just how good he really is against some of that top talent. So those are our breakout players for 2022. You want to know these names right now. If you don't know them now, you'll hear about them. In the very near future, they'll come up on the ticker. They'll be in the postseason accolades conversation. You got Marvin Harrison Jr. from Ohio State, the wide receiver. Blake Shapin, the new quarterback at Baylor. Zach Evans, just a bad man running downhill. The running back from Ole Miss. Jaheim Bell, Mr. Do-It-All at South Carolina, the tight end. Joey Porter Jr., corner at Penn State. And then Drew Sanders, the linebacker from Arkansas. I mean, th these are guys that you will without a doubt know by the end of the year. It's going to be a whole lot of fun to sit here in late November and talk about these guys and say, oh, yeah, I remember, you know, in August we talked about our breakout players. Well, here's another one. So we have that now in the can. So that's it for us here in the hard count. We appreciate you tuning in. We are still trying to hammer down exactly what the schedule is going to be with these long form hard counts. But it's just a great medium for us to be able to have some interaction back and forth in the chat, uh, be able to cover more topics, honestly, kind of have an event on the larger scale at, at the conclusion of your college football Saturday on a Sunday, on a Wednesday, whatever it is. This is just a great way for us to empty the clip and continue to be the people's show. So like I said, we do a Twitter Spaces every Tuesday, 1 Eastern, 12 Central. Uh, we're going to try and get that Instagram fired up one way or another, whether it's live, whether it's more content there or polls. So follow me there at JD Pakel on both Twitter and Instagram. If you haven't yet subscribed to the channel, we are surging. It is in all credit to what y'all have done and the kind of support you have shown us in the very early going of this channel. And so for that, we thank you. And we are excited to have you all a part of this community and a part of this college football party. So you know how we do it. We're going to keep the party rolling. Thank you as always. We will see y'all next time.